Great. Well, I'm so excited to welcome Pam Forbes, SVP and Chief Marketing Officer for Pernod Ricard North America. Pam, welcome to CMO Pulse. I'm so excited for this conversation. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. Well, let me uh, let me start with what should hopefully be an easy one. Do you have a favorite drink of yours? <laughs> <laughs> of course I do. Um, there, it's hard to have favorites among all of your children, right? But um, <laughs> No, and I'll, I will say my my palate is expanding since I've joined the company. But um, I've always been a tequila lover, um, and so we we have a couple of wonderful brands in that space. But I am learning about my whiskeys and my gins and my vodkas. So um, it's been it's been a wonderful experience. Well, it would just be wrong to discriminate, right? And to not drink I know I agree. So I but I'm learning. Like my favorite is a Paloma, but you can make a Paloma with vodka. Did you know that? It's not <laughs> so, that. Yeah, like this sounds creative. like some links we're going to that. have to add to the the episode. <laughs> yes, awesome, amazing. Well, now that we got the most important question <laughs> out of the way, um, tell me a little bit about um, your current role and what, if anything has changed for you in the past mm. 18 months with how you, and I know you sort of joined middle 20 yes, as well. I, so I'd love to just hear a little about what that experience has been like for you. It's great. Um, so I, I lead marketing in the U S for Pernod Ricard. We have a, a whole host of brands. Not all of them um, are supported with marketing, but I lead about 24 brands. In marketing, it's a lot. These are global brands in many cases that um, we have to work with the brand company owners in other markets to like work with them to market the brands here in the U.S. Um, excuse me. Apologies. Uh, we um, we do have some brands that are U.S. owned, our, our American whiskey portfolio. So um, those we they are fully owned by us, and we we look to um, have export ambitions. So I lead the marketing in the U.S. for big brands like Jameson, Absolute, Malibu. Clearly, these are global brands. So I'm working with a global marketing uh, ecosystem. Uh, I joined in COVID. I joined less than 18 months ago, about 17, 16 months ago. So I am just now getting to meet my team for the first time in person as I'm starting to get back in the market and travel. That's been wonderful. Um, We've been able to do a a ton of transformation in the last 16 months, not realizing how much we accomplished until you kind of look back, but um, so much disruption, so much change. And it really spurred us to accelerate many things that were already in the works. And then me coming in, kind of standing up a little bit different way of doing marketing. We, we call it media to shelf marketing. Um, we've kind of retrenched some of the, the ways of doing things with the brands and it's now just starting to get uh, launched. So it's been a heavy lift for the team and um, you know, I, I'd say pretty exciting journey. You talked uh, just a moment ago about accelerating things. Can you share any examples of what has sure. actually gone faster? Because I feel like oftentimes I'm hearing the opposite, which is like everything is just going so slow because there's no mm. differentiation day by day. Although that might just be more a personal therapy. Thing, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah, the, not a lot of boring days right now for us anyway. A um, couple things. So, you know, the, the alcohol and spirits industry is way behind other industries in the, the realm of e-commerce, for example. And when you could no longer get to the store to buy your favorite spirits or wine and, and uh, new uh, innovations started popping up around um, 
home delivery. And, uh, you know, that's just been fantastic. And it was a very undeveloped, um, both at the retailer, um, at, at with us, we had, there was a lot of um, digital transformation, a lot of startups happening. Drizzly, for example, just taking off Uber, then bought Drizzly and it's, it accelerated even more, right? So that has been, in 18 months, you went from hardly any business in e-commerce to now two, three, four percent of the business is e-commerce. That's still small, but it's not going back, right? It's like we're all kind of trying to catch up to the consumer behavior that that is desired. So that's one. Um, two, you know, we we had to shut down a lot of the on-premise, our restaurants, bars, hotels, right? That shut down, and when that shut, when your whole piece of your business shuts down, you have to step back and understand, wow, what's going to happen to our business? You think your business is going to come to a standstill. Well, what, that didn't happen. Our business actually accelerated during this time frame. We, we had to keep a real close pulse on the consumer and they were, you know, they were exploring new ways to, um, ex, you know, different experiences at home, stocking a bar for the first time at home, uh, which was wonderful. It had a bit of a tailwind for us, which caused a lot of out-of-stock issues, frankly, because the supply chain hadn't caught up to this increase in demand for at home. So again, we it's it's been a bit of a whirlwind 18 months, but we we think we've got a handle on it. We're still, you know, we're still um, catching up, but um, it's been pretty exciting. Well, and you just mentioned something that's actually a cornerstone of this whole series, which is keeping a pulse on your consumer. How have you done that? I mean, practically mm. speaking, you've stepped into this new role. You haven't even met your team. Um, there's all yeah. sorts of different system things. Like what's that been like for you and how did you, like how have you kept close to, you know, gotten to know your consumer, right, because it's a new role. Sure. So stayed in touch with him or her as the world and their experiences have kept changing. That's great. Great question. So, um, I don't know if you've done a little background on me, but my whole um, <laughs> my whole background is the in analytics, of internet stalking. Let's just leave right. it. <laughs> so I'm not a. I don't have a traditional background as a in, in, as a chief marketing officer. I, I am. My industry was built in insights and analytics. So um, my boss, the CEO, uh, we had a previous working relationship at PepsiCo, knew me, knew knew my skills and strengths and said, hey, come lead a marketing transformation for me. And she knew the first thing we needed to do was really get a pulse on the consumer, the choice drivers, the, the, the path to purchase for this consumer and how it's changing. And then how do we quickly get to a competitive advantage because of that knowledge? So we, uh, I think a lot of people were probably pulling back on what you would call non-working dollars in your marketing. We, we actually over-invested in some foundational research, large, large sample sizes. We have continuous tracking going on. So we know uh, just week by week, how consumption shifts are changing because they are changing um, and a bit more normalizing now. So we're, all of those um, gatherings you might have had, you know, together in, in bars are now happening at home. At first, they, they, they got smaller, but they came back, you know, a lot of at-home gatherings. So we were tracking that pretty continuously. Um, I, I don't know how I would operate if I didn't have that continuous pulse as well as that sort of master foundation to set the strategy. So we did that work. We invested in it. It was, it was well worth paying back uh, for us today. 
So tell me a little bit more. I mean, I did notice that about your background, um, that you were very heavy in insights and analytics. I know you also started out um, closer to the agency world, Mm. spent some time with Disney, with PepsiCo and others. Um, As you reflect back on your career, what do you think was the most important turning point for you and how is that impacting Mm. the way that you sort of are as a CMO today? It's a great question. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I have, I've, you know, I have this sort of left brain, right brain conflict all the time. I almost went to art school. My dad's an artist, but I went to business school and and got a a minor in computers and data management. So uh, I think I was well prepared for the career I went on, but I didn't know where I was going. Like I started in the ad agency world just because I was so enamored with the the process of creativity and I loved it. And, um, but then um, I fell in love with more the deep brand strategy. So probably the Number first pivotal move that really accelerated my career was moving from the agency world to client side. And not really just that, it was that I moved from, I'm going to say, sort of the, the, the front end of marketing to sort of the, the, the early upfront strategy building and consumer insights. And that was wonderful. I had, I had to take a pretty big step back in my career and, and title and pay and all of that to do that. But I, I, it was the best move I ever made. Um, and I'd spent several years really getting to know CPG, the consumer, all of the ways we do insights and analytics. And I, 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 I fell in love with, the, with the, the career and accelerated pretty quickly because I had already sort of presented to CMOs before, right? So I had that polish, I had that storytelling, I had that way of thinking about how how this all of this strategy was going to turn into things that could drive, you know, the business. So um, while my career started to grow, the the second thing that happened is um, new leaders came on board that I worked with at PepsiCo, and and one of them is my current boss today, Emma Kurji. She's she's fantastic. She's brilliant. She's courageous, and she saw things in me I didn't see in myself. So she kept pushing me to do more and more, and ended up leading you know a growth strategy for the company that that turned around the business after the 08 crash. So, um, you know. Th- Again, that's where we sort of invented a lot of the things we're putting in place at Pernod. Um, I do want to mention, because a lot of people go, well, well, wait a minute, CPG, spirits, that's not really the same. You you can't apply CPG to, to spirits marketing. And um, I get a lot of flack from that sometimes. Uh, but what, what we're doing is we're not bringing a CPG playbook. We're bringing the insights and analytics foundation so that you learn about your consumer, your marketplace, the dynamics that's unique. And there are some things that are similar because it is consumers and it is shoppers and it is brands right? fundamentally, but there are a lot of differences too. And we're, we're adapting our, our tools to that, those differences. So um, those are probably the two big decisions that, that changed my career trajectory. We're digging in on the first one in particular. So you mentioned that you sort of made this decision. You actually had to take a bit of a step back in terms of pay. Did you, how did you know that that was the right move for you? Because everything that you hear about early in your career is like, get ahead, get ahead, right? Yeah. Did you have a vision for what you were hoping to understand? Like how yeah. did you kind of get to that? Um, very interesting. Like I, I think it's, you know, when you ever have a conversation with uh, someone early in their career and they're like, I just don't know what I'm passionate about yet. Like you don't, you just, cause you don't know what you don't know. And I just was, I'm 
I was just in love with the process that I was going through with the agency world. And I, I happened to be lucky enough to, to land a role at Shia Day, which was like world-class in account planning. They had the Apple account. We had the Nissan and Infinity account. I was working on Infinity at the time. And just, I was, I fell in love with these account planners, these brilliant brand planners who are so smart and so strategic. And I just wanted to be that. And it was really hard because I, I was like, well, you can't, you haven't, got those skill sets, you'd have to take a step back. So within the agency world, it was really hard to make that transition. Um, so I, I, there was an opportunity where I just decided to take a year off. Um, I had a baby <laughs> and I just took a year off and my my husband was leading an agency here in Dallas. And I started exploring and, and taking classes and talking to people. And I fell into a consultant role at, at Frito-Lay, which turned into a job offer. But that job offer had to be a pretty big step back because I didn't have the skill sets. I had the, the the leadership. I had the smarts. I had done enough, uh, a little bit of experience. I, I went and got a certificate from the University of Georgia in, in insights and research. So I was proving that I really wanted this, right? And I was given I was given the shot and uh, someone saw something in me and said, I'll take a bet on it, even though it's a different profile. Um, and I, again, I, I it's always about luck and who you're around. But my boss at the time also was a wannabe professor. So it was a perfect match. I was a hungry student. He wanted to be a professor, came from P&G, steeped in all the right, you know, the tool sets. And um, we were, we were good. We were a good team. So love that's that. kind of how it happened. I love that. And, and as a, as a marketer today, I mean, you're obviously very, very informed by that background. How do you balance, um, you know, insights, intelligence, and data with um, the ways that those show up perhaps when you're thinking more creatively or when you're thinking mm. more blue skies? Like, wh- how do you manage that continuum of incredibly prescriptive because it's data and then incredibly loose because it's just an idea? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think for me, it's creative creativity and, and the work is primary. All I'm doing is trying to help s- develop a framework and, and, and a foundation of knowledge to make sure that creativity actually works. <laughs> um, we're not creating art. We're not, uh, you know, we are creating something incredibly powerful that connects with humans, um, a, a creative insight, um, a hook, a story a, that just moves people, right? And that movement has to be connected to the brand not just movement for movement's sake. So um, I lead with creativity and I think my, you know, I have such an appreciation for creativity from the creatives I work with at agencies to, to true artists that, that I know in, 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 in my family. So that appreciation and primacy, that's why I loved working at Disney. That, you know, was the creatives first. We, we didn't tell the creatives what to make. We helped them make what they wanted to make better. And so, and make sure it really worked and resonated. So that's, that's how I think about it. I, I want to set the strategy and then um, help the creative get better as it goes through, through development. 
I love that. Um, now you talked about the, you know, the shift to, to e-commerce and a lot of things changing. Can you talk a little bit about how, if at all, you adapted um, your digital presence and in particular mm. your social media presence? Now I know Perno Ricard has been very active on social and, you know, a very early adopter of many platforms, but I'm curious if there was something in the move to e-commerce, things being a little more direct to consumer that has changed how you think about social media. Yeah, I think it's a, it's been an and, not a not an or. So, you know, with the shutdown of on-premise and with our foundational work on the path to purchase and what touch points really matter to consumers, we we realized we were under-investing in sort of those media touch points. So we more than doubled our media budget that first year, and 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 we saw immediate sort of response for, from that, um, and and at the same time we set up an entire new e-commerce team, like brand new to the company, brand new to, to CPG in some cases, Brent, not much less the, the e-commerce, but they were coming from, you know, retail and fashion and uh, other direct-to-consumer um, industries. And and we quickly came together as a team and we didn't get it right at, at first. We were just trying to get material out there to get stuff on the platforms that were being stood up, you know, with, you know, over, you know, couple weeks time and now we're in we're in a different place where we're planning together and really thinking through the whole shopper journey and how how we can have a connected experience for them like uh, we call it media to shelf or the consumer shopper loop we don't use funnel terms anymore because you know you can be in store and on your phone and discovering a brand all at the same time um, but there that is sort of a discovery discovery loop that we're, we're trying to to um, understand better. And e-commerce has been different, I think, for for alcohol anyway, or spirits brands, is that you can explore other brands pretty easily. That Sometimes that store experience is pretty awful. It's confusing. It's it's just shelf sets after shelf sets, and you, you can't find what you're looking for. And it's overwhelming, that paradox of choice, of too much choice. But in an e-commerce setting, it's pretty easy. I can just scroll, have focus, explore, Maybe I go out and, and go to a website and, and, and understand it more. So that role of research as consumers that were at home became really important. So search became higher. We started investing more in search. We started investing more in getting our websites to, to, to the right place where they needed to be for, for that kind of research. And e-commerce became a really important touch point beyond just conversion. Um, so um, now we have to, you know, just continue to elevate our game. We we just signed with a DCO. We're going to do dynamic content optimization between e-commerce and the brand team, and let the media team kind of dictate that because they're seeing in real time, um, you know, as the data signals are created, like what's the next story we should be telling the consumer to just help them through their journey. I love that. And how are you evaluating which platforms you should focus on? Because you've, of course, you know, you've got TikTok, you've got Instagram, you've got a lot yeah. of things competing for consumers' attention. What's, sure. what's sort of your process to know where to be? Well, it starts with what we're allowed to do. So for some, some um, platforms aren't of uh, a high enough percentage of legal drinking age. So like TikTok, we're not on TikTok. So we can't um, do that. We, we, we find other avenues and might might look more TikTok-ish when we execute our programs, like um, you know, dance challenges with Malibu, that type of thing. But uh, we can't be on TikTok, so that starts first. You know, safety um, and and the right thing to do for the consumer. Um, um, 
I'd say we brought in um, an expert. I don't know if you saw that, but um, Kristen Colonna is our um, head of media and and our DCO and and our um, internal studio. She was the um, chief strategy officer at Omnicom um, um, OMD Media, and she's brilliant. And so she's brought in uh, just a level of expertise on it because the, it's changing so fast. How do we keep up? And how do you know if your agency's, you know, doing the right thing by you? Because sometimes they're bringing in young people and they they just haven't been trained yet. You know, you know how hard it is. So here's an expert who's going to ask the right questions. And one of the things we did find out as we looked in the past over the last two years, and, and we do have marketing mix models that are showing a whole lot of inefficiency that we were in some places that I don't think we even knew what they were and, and are we even being seen by real people or bots? Mm. So we had to clean up the quality of our media buys um, coming to these platforms with, with a portfolio approach, not just with our U.S. buys, but our global buys. And it's just really elevated our game from a higher quality perspective. So we're doing um, a lot of search. We're doing a lot of digital ads and, and connected TV as well as the social platforms. The social platforms work very hard for us. Um, they, they do. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a trend that I think is only going to continue, but it's, uh, it's certainly not always simple, right, across, yep. across all of the different touch points. Um, as you stepped into this role, and you've had some very senior positions before, but you haven't been CMO before. Right. How did you prepare to take on that responsibility? Mm. Oh, and by the way, the world is going through, um, you know, one of the biggest step changes in, in memorable history. What was your personal process to sort yeah. of get ready to, to step into that seat? I think I felt like, you know, if if not now, when? I, I mean, I've had a lot of senior roles. This, I've, most of those roles have been influencing. I used to call myself the CMO whisperer. <laughs> where I'm influencing and trying to guide and inspire and and and, and sh- you know get that uh, the CMO or even the CEO and the C-suite excited about marketing. Uh, I know a lot of my peers, CMO peers, have to fight every day for the relevance of marketing. They're fighting for their budgets. They're fighting for. Uh, I'm lucky right now. This role, I'm not doing that. My CEO, my CFO, our company believes in marketing first and we are a we are a growth engine to for the company and that was very attractive as a role to step into for a first time CMO knowing that the first thing we had to do was get our foundation and our data right and um, uh, you know work with all these other um, great marketers who in the creative uh, um, uh, space so we we did work to you know change some agencies by the way and and um, that was been that's been a wonderful journey too as we elevated our our um, game as far as our new campaigns that'll be coming. You'll see some new ones on Malibu and Absolute and Jameson all in the works right now. Very exciting. Um, So I felt like if not now, when, and if not here, there'd be no better place. I've got the support, that explicit trust to work fast with my CEO and CFO. And I sit on the executive team and, you know, marketing is very important to the, the, the big bets, we have for our company and uh it's just it's it's a it's a dream dream role for sure i love that um and uh wanting to hear some leadership advice from you Mm. Uh, maybe i'll start with if you could offer yourself some leadership advice at the start of your career knowing what you know now what would that advice be 
I don't know. I, I, I feel really blessed. I don't, I, I'm, I'm achieved things beyond my wildest dreams. And if there's anything I would tell my younger self, it's like, stop shooting so low, <laughs> you know, like you're actually pretty good, pretty good at this and you, you can be a rock star. I think there was a lot of early uh, years where you're, you have a lot of self-doubt, you know, and I think I've been through many coaches and, and, um, you know, women's leadership programs where, you know, you learn about the imposter syndrome where I'm getting these big roles and I'm like, me, you know, why me? Um, but I, you know, I, I say to my younger self, get over it. You're going to, you know, you're going to do great things. Um, you know, I, I, to, 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 to people who ask me this question, you know, for themselves, I, I just say, you know, I've always, you know, curiosity is the key to learning about yourself, about what's possible. So, you know, always trying to stay curious and open to being, to learning new things, which means sometimes you have to unlearn things. I'd say, especially marketers tend to have these high ego, high type A personalities, right? And it, it kind of blocks you. If you've, if you've read um, Adam Grant's new book, um, um, uh, unlearning. I can't remember. Anyway, the, the whole concept is you, if you don't, if you think, you know, if you know, you know, you're not going to learn something new. And so you have to unlearn what you know to be able to open and learn the new. So I, you know, I love working for Anne because we both have that value. We were always constantly saying, okay, that's, that worked yesterday. What's going to work tomorrow? What, what, what don't we know? And what, so we're always on this learning journey to, to adapt and, and grow. And so, um, that curiosity, always being open to, to what's possible because the job you're going to have by the time you hit my level in this career probably doesn't exist today. Or it's, it's a very different, like the CMO of even 10 years ago is not really the CMO profile today. Um, I don't think I would have gotten this role 10 years ago, um, but I might be the profile of the CMO of the future, right? Someone who can speak data analytics, creativity, someone who has the business speak of, of at, at, the, at, at the table and, and thinking about how am I going to build sustainable, profitable growth. Um, that's not, you know, a lot of marketers are really enamored with the, the creativity and the campaigns and their, their communications leads. They're not business growth drivers. And so, um, you know, I think CMOs have the lowest tenure in history right now, less almost sure just over... Two, two years. There's a lot of reasons for that. Some, I think, just aren't speaking the language of business, aren't at the table, and are seen as it's seen as a cost expense. Others, I think, there's you know just there's a lot of poaching going on, trying to find the magic bullet that some leader's going to bring in. And I, I think, um, you know, others are are just not equipped with how complex it is. And I don't have all the answers. So I've surrounded myself and brought in experts in different spaces from even, even data and analytics have changed since I've led that. Like it's completely different. So it's about finding the right leaders and, and helping inspire them to, 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 your, to your vision. Um, it's, it's very difficult times, right? Like things are changing all the time and like leaders, leaders have to stand up and provide that security of, here's where we got to run to. And that even when there's times of uncertainty, if you inspire your team, like, okay, we're headed this direction, they can kind of put their heads down and get, get to work and not be so filled with anxiety around how, how the business is changing so much. So, um, 
long-winded answers. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's terrific. I'll, I'll ask you one more. Um, and I know we're, we're coming up to the end here, but what do you, as you stare out to 2022 and beyond, you're in this new role, there's all of this acceleration and transformation. What are you excited for next? Mm. I, I, you know, I've just gotten a taste of what this industry is like. And everyone I to- told that I was moving, you know, to, to Pernod Ricard, like, oh my gosh, you're going to have so much fun. It's a great industry to be in um, because our business is hospitality. Um, Pernod Ricard mission is conviviality. We are creators of conviviality. It's right here. What is? It's a French term, but it just means, you know, unlocking human connections, you know, being very friendly and getting together and, I've just recently been able to do that with colleagues, um, both our executive team and my my leadership team. And the difference between, you know, having a, a fun time even on a, on a team's call and have, sitting there in person over a cocktail and just getting to know them and having actually even business conversations where a lot of misunderstandings, you know, just happen because we're just going from deadline to deadline to deadline and just being able to sit across the table and work it out as human beings. It's just been wonderful. So I'm excited to continue to have in-person meetings. I'm excited to travel and meet some of um, my great brands, homes, distilleries in Ireland and Scotland and in England. And um, so that I haven't had a chance to do yet. And there's just some wonderful brands. Some brands are 300 years old and it's just the rich history and, uh, the, the reverence for these brands and the fact that I, for a very short time, I have to take care of them is you know, a bit overwhelming. So again, I'm just really excited to, to learn more and meet more, more of the, the entire ecosystem. Well, as they say, with great power comes great responsibility. So <laughs> I'm glad you're not taking that lightly. <laughs> well, listen, we'll, we'll pause there, Pam. Such a pleasure to speak with you. And I just, I can't wait to stay in touch and hear more about Sounds what great. your experiences are as you're able to actually get up close, you know, with, with a lot of these brands that you have sort of taken on, but really haven't been able to immerse in, at oh. least not in, uh, not in real life. Thank you. Uh, anytime. Look forward to it. I enjoy it. Thank you.